This is episode 291 of the Seahawkers podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz of the Military Seahawkers. Joining me this week to talk a little bit of Seahawks offseason, talk about the draft, is Mr. Rob Staten from SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Rob, welcome back on. Brandon, it's good to uh, it's good to be with you again, and I hope everybody is uh, coping with the the pandemic at the moment and staying safe. We are doing well. I am crushing it at fourth and sixth grade math, so I am I'm really proud of uh, the tutoring I'm able to do, and I'm just you know it's I'm working into one of my new roles around the house. Yeah, I'm I'm doing a great job at physical education and um, science. Yeah. And I was terrible at science at school, but I'm loving science for a six-year-old <laughs> and a three-year-old. So, um, yeah, it's 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 actually I've, I've found the positive from this, and that is getting to spend time with my kids. So it's been great. It, it's definitely a, a, a nice thing to come away with some of those positives, especially, you know, you, you want to look for the positive things when times are tough. And times are really tough for a lot of these draft picks going, you know, leading up to the NFL draft, you know, I've heard so many conversations now that you've been doing at Seahawks draft blog, Rob, you've had Cesar Ruiz on, you've had some, some great guard prospects like Damian Lewis and Robert Hunt, who, you know, it's, I, I have to imagine, and I feel sorry for some of these guys because here they are, they've gone through this whole process. They've gone through the 2019 season. They're looking forward to this 2020 draft. You know, it's kind of their moment to be in the spotlight. And now, you know, there are a lot, so many of these guys miss out on their, their school's pro days, which, you know, for, for guys like Ruiz and Damian Lewis and, and Robert Hunt, okay, that, you know, they've, they have a lot to show on tape, but, you know, some of these late round guys who get to really show out at some of the pro days, I, I feel like based on some of your conversations that you've heard with different guys that you know, those are the guys that are really going to miss out on having that exposure. I have sympathy with players for three reasons or three types of players. And then there is one group of players that I have no sympathy with. So the sympathy ones, I, I really feel for the later round guys who weren't invited to the combine, who are not going to have any real opportunity now to show what they can do. And there'll be some really good guys who work out fantastically well, some real rough diamonds out there that are not going to be able to have that opportunity to impress teams, then be invited to official team meetings, get drafted, and then have the best possible opportunity to have a career in the NFL. Really feel for those guys. I feel for the guys who had medical issues, who will have usually at this time be visiting with teams to get their doctors to have a look at them. Now teams are going to have to make a decision on, are we just going to take a gamble? You know, what is the risk we're taking this guy like in the top 10 versus, you know, later on? And you're going to see guys fall because of this and the other thing that i have sympathy for is that as a player you grow up and you watch this draft process from a distance for your whole life and if you have you know dreamed of an nfl career you've wanted this time forever and then it gets here and you're not able to do any of the things that normally you would be able to do in the draft which is attend the draft if you were invited which is to have the meetings. I bet it's a great experience to go and visit with loads of different NFL teams and be toured around their facilities and go through that interview process. I've not, you know, there isn't, hasn't been a single interview that I've had in my life that I've come out afterwards and gone, that was a waste of time. You can learn something from every single one of those meetings that you have, whether it's for your NFL career or for your life in general. So to miss out on some of those, listen, I've been doing FaceTime interviews with these players. I cannot imagine doing a FaceTime official team meeting for an hour on FaceTime. It's just the technology is great, but it ain't as good as meeting people in the in person. Now, there's one group of people I mentioned who I don't feel sorry for, 
and that is the people who chose not to work out at the combine. Mm. The lesson from this is don't shirk the combine drills. Do it. You might as well do it. Yeah, there's some risk there. You're going to get, you might fall down the stairs tomorrow and get hurt. You know, go out and run a 40, run a short shuttle, do the three co, do a vertical, do a broad, put those numbers out there for the teams because there's a lot of guys who were perfectly healthy who didn't do any of those drills waiting for the favorable turf on pro day to run a little bit faster and they ain't going to have any chance to test now and teams are likewise going to have to make a gamble on those guys when they could have had the numbers. You know, it's it's wild that you you bring that up because so much so often we hear of players who yeah, they they want to take advantage of their pro day especially when it comes to quarterbacks and throwing to their guys, but it does it you never know what's going to happen. And this is just one instance of you, you really have no idea what can change from from one month to the next. And yeah, those guys who opted out of competing at the Combine, they're in a really tough spot because there's been a lot of those guys where I look down the list to see you know what the numbers were that they put up at the Combine. They aren't there. And then I look to see if they had a pro day. And sure enough, that was one of the ones that was delayed. And there were a few schools that got in pro day times. I think Wisconsin was one of those. But mm. you know, so many of them have been delayed. And yeah, it's it's a bummer for them. And uh, But at the same time, you say it is kind of that always compete mentality. And when you have the opportunity for competition, you take it. Because maybe maybe you don't know what happens between now and the next time you have the opportunity. Now, look, I think the NFL has to do something with the combine. You know, if they're going to put it on prime time and make these guys run at 10 o'clock at night, you know, they have to, there has to be some incentive for them to do all of the drills. And I, I would like to see some kind of financial incentive for doing all of these things, some kind of a reward for, for making sure that whatever the time is, that they go out and do a full set of testing results so the teams have got the information. And if you're trying to sell this product to fans around the world and say, come and watch our broadcast, then if you have the five best players at a position not run because they think, well, I'll just wait to my pro day because I know there's a fast track at Ohio State or Clemson or whatever, and I'll run a little bit faster, and that's better for my stock. There has to be, I think the, the NFL, now that they've moved it to prime time, they've got to be prepared to pay these players to do everything at the combine. They're becoming pros, pay them to perform. But at the same time, you've got someone like Yita Gross Matos, who went to the combine, was perfectly healthy. He did the broad jump, and he did the vertical jump and did well. He then did all of the positional drills. The only thing that he didn't do was a 40 and the agility testing. And now he's not had a chance to do any of those things at a pro day. And if I'm a GM who needs a pass rusher, and hey, look, the Seahawks need a pass rusher, I'm thinking, what have you got to hide? What were you going to run? <laughs> were you going to run like a 4-9? Like, right. Just Listen, if you ran a 4-7-5, I don't think it would have killed his stock at all. But at least you know. Right, as opposed to wondering how bad is this that he did everything except run, and now he's not going to have a chance to. So look, look, every year there's not going to be a global pandemic affecting no. the draft season. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I hope that's not going to be the case. Yeah. Hopefully this is a, a one-off in our lifetimes. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of guys there that you know. I, I guess with hindsight, they would have gone gone back and done things differently. Well, I do wonder how much how much difference can it really make? Because I look at Zach Bond. Uh, from you know the linebacker from Wisconsin, he had the four three short shuttle at the combine, but then he went and did it at the pro day. Wisconsin, one of the few colleges that actually got to have their pro day in before everything kind of shut down, and he went from a four three down to that under four one mark for the short shuttle that the Seahawks look for. 
Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing, though, you know, and that's, that's why I always, with a pro day, and this is, this is the thing. So t- what teams generally do is they will hand-time the guys at the combine and they will use those numbers and they will ha- I guess they will have them in, I mean, I'm, look, I'm speaking like I've been in a, in a draft room here and I haven't, <laughs> but what I imagine is there's, there's probably like a list of the hand times mm-hmm. and then there's probably a list of the official times that were tracked, for example, like the 40-yard dash and the official times for the short shuttle and stuff like that. And then what you will do is you will go out and you will do, you will do a hand time these things again. And then you've got a comparison there. But even then, I, you know, the great thing about the combine is everybody's performing in the same conditions at the same time. Whereas if you are performing at a pro day and there's a fast track, that's, or, or for example, you know you're not going to do any of the position drills or a bench or anything like that. You're just doing a short shuttle and you can spend two weeks or a month <laughs> or whatever yeah. preparing for that short shuttle to shave seconds or tenths of a second off. Then that's not the same as doing it at the combine. So, yeah, I, look, I, I always and that was a direct shot at Bond Rob. He, he that was the only drill that he did at his pro day was the short <laughs> shuttle. Now, listen, I hope it's a legit four one because that is a great time and that's the that's comforting because I don't think you know his four six five that he ran at the combine was was okay, but at two hundred and thirty eight pounds as a pass rusher, you want to see him in the four five. So. You know, if he's running a, a short shot at that time, that's that's much more appealing to the Seahawks. Well, I want to talk more draft, Rob, but I also want to talk a little bit of offseason. And one of the guys who's been impacted by everything going on with the coronavirus is Jadevian Clowney and his free agency situation. And I'm kind of curious where you're at in terms of all of this, of whether or not, you know, you, you talked about the guys that you have sympathy for in terms of the draft. But what about a guy like Clowney? Do you have some sympathy for the situation that he's in? I, mean, I don't know if I have sympathy with Jadavian Clowney because he's a man who's already made $50 million in his career. So, you know, the fact that he is, um, he, he's discovered this cold market for his services, he's obviously overestimated uh, what his value would be in free agency. And now he finds himself without a team and he's going to have to come to terms with that. And then he's going to have to make a call because he can either take presumably Seattle's offer. I, I'm guessing that's the best offer, or if it's not, somebody else's offer that is the best offer. Or he can just sit and wait and wait, and the situation is not going to change because in a few weeks' time, teams are going to draft a defensive lineman, and they're not going to be in the market for his services anymore. There's going to be even less cap space available, and he might end up having, look, look, if the Jets ring him up in august or september and say do you fancy it for a year his big thing was to go to an actual good team not a team that is I mean, the jets aren't going to do anything next year so he's, he's got a big call to make i kind of get the sense with Clowney that what's happening at the minute brandon is this is <laughs> this is kind of like the russell wilson thing a year ago you've got both sides playing this out through the media so you'll have one reporter leak something out like Clowney's reduced his money his demands to 17 18 million then you got the seahawks leaking out well he better sign quick or we're going to move on mm-hmm. then you've got Clowney saying well he's not in he's, the browns are interested uh, and he's not really that keen on seattle's offer then mike garofalo comes out and says oh the seahawks have moved on there's slim to no chance of them signing him now mm-hmm. and it wouldn't surprise me if next week he comes back on a one or two year deal i mean this is 
it's the same with Wilson last year. Everything was kind of played out through the media. It is one of the things that tends to happen quite a lot with the Seahawks. So I'm, I, you know, I, I think there's still a, a distinct possibility that this could sort itself out. And the Seahawks have waited all of the, you know, the last month for this, and they haven't really signed. And look, they've signed Mayawa and Irvin. They haven't signed anybody else. They've not signed Everson Griffin. They've not traded for Ngokwe. They've not gone after anybody of any significance. They've not traded for Matt Juden. They've not done anything like this. They have waited for Jadavian Clowney to make up his mind. And I think having gone this far with it, I'd be a little bit surprised if he didn't come back. But, you know, if it is a reality that they, they're going to move on and part ways, the Seahawks better have a good plan B because they came into this offseason requiring significant injections of talent onto this defense and to fix their pass rush. And as things stand, they have done neither. Well, and Bruce Irvin, you mentioned him. He hasn't even officially been announced yet. You know, the we've we've gotten the uh, the agreement that he was going to sign, but we haven't even seen solid numbers in terms of Bruce Irvin's deal. So we did see Mayoa, uh, another guy who signed here this week, uh, Jordan Simmons, the offensive lineman. So that's some news that has happened just since the last week. But yeah, it it is a little bit frustrating when you think of all of the the needs that the Seahawks had on the defensive line. And yes, they kept Reed, which I think was something that was maybe unexpected for a lot of us. We thought that Jaron Reed was going to go somewhere getting Irvin and Mayoa. That does help, but it definitely felt like they needed to do more. And it's at that point in the offseason where there's not a whole lot left out there. Griffin's still out there. Clowney's out there. And I guess unless you're waiting until you get closer to training camp time and kind of let things happen to see where, you know, where are some of those teams going to go after the draft? For example, with the Browns, you know, and you talked about how they were interested or there was the report that they were interested in Clowney. Maybe if they do get Clowney, they let a guy like Olivier Vernon go. Or maybe if another team drafts a guy who they really like at a pass rushing spot, they're going to let a, a veteran go. Or as it gets closer to training camp, there's going to be some guys released before the start of the season. So it kind of it feels like John Schneider is in that waiting position, and it's, it just doesn't seem like the aggressive way to go that, that I think many Seahawks fans wanted to see John Schneider go out and do. Well, let me just sort of give you my take and then feel free to pick any of this apart. You know, I, I, I you know, I'd like to be challenged on this because this is, this is kind of what I've been thinking about it. And I, and I, I want to know what's wrong about this position to take, because this is the position I would take as a Seahawks fan. As I mentioned, this off season required an injection of talent on the defense. You even had Russell Wilson come out of the pro bowl and say, they better win free agency and sign some superstars. I mean, we could all see it. You know, the, this is a team that is very capable of challenging for the Super Bowl, but not with these pass rush statistics. They had 28 sacks, which was the second fewest in the league. Their sack percentage was 4.5%, third worst overall. The Seahawks produced a sack or quarterback hit on just 14.4% of opponents' pass plays. That is the worst in the NFL. They only had 126 pressures, sixth fewest in the league. Seattle's pressure percentage was the fourth worst in the league. They hit the quarterback 68 times, again, fourth fewest in the league. 52 tackles for a loss, fourth fewest in the league. They gave up 55 explosive running plays, seventh most in the NFL. They gave up 4.9 yards per carry, fourth worst overall. And they had 331 missed tackles, Hmm. the fourth most. I mean, that is a laundry list from hell in terms of 
defensive performance from the Seahawks. So, yeah, do you know what? People can harp on about let Russ cook and all that stuff. <laughs> Russell Wilson is going to forever be undermined if he's having to play with a defense like that. Because he's going to have to score two extra touchdowns a game to make up for it. They had to come out and fix the pass rush. They had to get more talent on defense. And from my position, what I've seen them do is they've used a significant amount of cap space that they had on journeymen and former first-round busts. They've not fixed the pass rush. The, the report, I mean, look, I've said that I think Clowney may still sign, but the report this week is there's slim to no chance of him coming back. And, and what all this means is if they go into the draft in two weeks' time with Benson Mayowa and Bruce Irving as their most significant additions at defensive end, you get handcuffed. So then you go into the draft saying, oh, we've got this huge need at defensive end. We better take one. And that's what got them into trouble a year ago. You know, they, they get into the off-season a year ago with Frank Clark and Jaron Reed on, defense, on the defensive line and not a lot else. You have to add to that and build around those guys. You then trade Frank Clark the week of the draft. That problem becomes even greater. So you end up taking LJ Collier. There's a Russian defensive lineman. You feel like you've got to take one, otherwise you might miss out completely. You take Collier. It hasn't worked out. You then go and sign Ziggy Ansa, who no one was going near in free agency. Uh, he's got a busted shoulder. Isn't good enough. The Houston Texans bailed them out with that clowny trade, you know, right before the start of the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, how often is that going to happen? Do you want Genevieve Clowney for a third and Bakevius Mingo and Jacob Martin? Yes, please. I mean, just imagine how bad the defense would have been if Houston hadn't been so generous oh, sure. with an early Christmas present last season. So they, they're going to go into the draft again. And at 27, are they going to think, ah, do you know what? I better take a pass rusher here because he's not the best player on the board, but we haven't got any options. We can't wait till 59 because they might all be gone. I mean, does it, does it influence your ability to draft properly then? And do you continue to make mistakes in, in the draft? That's why I think, and, and, and overall, it makes me wonder whether this time next year we're going to be in the exact same position talking about a pass rush need for the third offseason in a row off the back of yet another wild card or divisional playoff loss where Russell Wilson's played great for a year. The offense is top five per DVOA, but the defense is similar in terms of statistics because they can't cause pressure. They can't get off the field. Quarterbacks have all day in the pocket. They can't defend the perimeter run. And, and look, and people say, well, if it's not Clowney, go and sign Everson Griffin. Are you, are you really comfortable playing two 33-year-old bookend defensive ends next year? I mean, that's the situation. I find it personally a little bit disappointing. I wish they would have prioritized fixing the pass rush. And, you know, if it costs a bit more to keep Clowney, it costs a bit to get Everson Griffin in, or it costs a bit more to get a Dante Fowler or a Robert Quinn or somebody like that, or trade for Calais Campbell like the Ravens did. If it costs a bit more to do that, Get that done and then let the journeyman and the former first round busts come to you later on in the process. I, I just feels like they've done it reversed. They've kind of sorted out the depth with, you know, guys like Cedric Abui and Brent and Brandon Shell and Chance Warmack. And now they're trying to get the password sorted right before the draft. You know, sh- shouldn't it be the other way around? Well, Rob, you wanted me to challenge you on one thing, and there is one thing that I think that maybe you've convinced me of with, especially when you run down all of those statistics of just how terrible the Seahawks were on the defensive line, especially when it comes to tackles for a loss and rushing the passer and getting pressure on the quarterback. I think of all those numbers and I think of, okay, well, who was on the defensive line last year? Jadevian Clowney was on the defensive line last year, and you're talking about paying... Upwards of, you know, well, shoot, he wanted a contract over $20 million. 
Well, there's there's the reason why right there why you didn't give a guy like Clowney upwards of $20 million because of all of the statistics that he couldn't help out with. It was getting to the quarterback. He didn't even lead the team in sacks last year. So he, he obviously got lots of pressure, but one of the things that I, I guess I struggle with is a guy that's this far into the NFL now and hasn't been able to produce double digit sacks. Is that a guy that you go out and pay big money to? Yeah, I, look, it's a, it's a fair, uh, legitimate argument. What I would say, I suppose, in response to that is Jadavian Clowney was, I think, possibly the most double-teamed defensive lineman yeah. in the NFL last year. And the reason is, is because, let's say you're game-planning the Seahawks and you're an offensive coordinator and you look at that defensive line and you go, well, do we really need to worry too much about Brandon Jackson um, or Ziggy Ansah? No. No. Have they got have they got anybody in the interior who's going to cause any problems? No. Can we actually leave two guys on Jadavian Clowney or three for most of the game and we'll just take our chances that Brandon Jackson's not going to win the game for the Seahawks? Yeah. I mean the guy still had 30 pressures which as a comparison, you know, Robert Griffin had 30 not Robert Griffin, Robert Quinn, sorry, had 35 Dante Fowler, 35. Von Miller, 36. Josh Allen, who was the top 10 pick, had 39. Yeah. You know, he had he had more pressures than Demarcus Lawrence and Miles Garrett. And Yannick Ngokwe had 27. And Frank Clark had 27. And Chris Jones in Kansas City had 27. So he had more than some of the best defensive linemen in the league last year. And pressures are not everything in the same way that Sacks are not everything, but I kind of thought with this offseason what the key would be would be to re-sign Genevieve Clowney and then to give him some help, you know, to add to what you've got to make his life a bit easier. Because if you have, it's a bit like if you played the Rams and you knew that Aaron Donald was the guy who was going to beat you, you could maybe do something to help your offense handle Aaron Donald. It's a bit harder because he's in the interior rather than playing off the edge. You can't put a tight end right behind the center just in case. So, But you can play a tight end off the edge, obviously, or an, an extra lineman like the Seahawks often do. So it's a bit harder to defend Aaron Donald. But if if he's the only guy, then you maybe give him a bit more attention. With Jadavian Clown, it's, it's the same thing. You know, if you've got a bookend defensive end who can beat you, then that's just, it's Avril and Bennett all over again. And then if you bring Frank Clark off the bench like they did, or Chris Clemens or Bruce Irvin, that's how you create a dynamic pass rush. And there's one other point that I'd like to make, Brandon. The Seahawks depend on a four-man rush. You know, they're not like the Baltimore Ravens who blitz and are creative with their looks and formations. They don't have the Todd Bowles defense in Tampa Bay, which is basically we're bringing the house every single down. The Seahawks say, we're going to rush four and play coverage. If you're going to depend on a four-man rush, you better be able to rush the passer. You better have pass rushes who can get home. You better have people who can create pressure and defend the run. And the Seahawks haven't had that for two years. I I guess I just have a problem with where to assign blame in this particular situation because is, is the blame on Clowney for not accepting the Seahawks' best offer when they may have had the best offer? Or you know, do you put blame on just the entire situation of not being, you know, with his medical issues, especially having the microfracture surgery on the knee, I'm sure that's something other teams would want to take a look at with their team doctors, and they're not able to do it in 
uh, you know, with with not being able to travel and with the facilities being closed down. So uh, there's you could you could put the blame there or you could put it onto John Schneider for not giving him a good enough of a deal to say, OK, yes, I'm agreeing to it. And let's let's just call this done and we can move on now. Yeah, I I don't I don't have to take any enjoyment from saying this, but for me the blame is squarely on um, the Seahawks um, and whether that's Schneider and Carroll or a collection of individuals. I I just I think when you have a need that lasts into two off seasons and now could potentially stretch into three, it's your job to solve that issue. Now, when you look at other teams this off season that have come into you know with needs, the Bills needed a receiver, for example. For Josh Allen. So they go and make a trade for Stefan Diggs and they get that done. The Cardinals needed more for Kyler Murray. That was their priority. So what do they do? They re-sign the left tackle and then they go and get DeAndre Hopkins. The Eagles needed defensive line help and they needed a cornerback and they needed a receiver. So what do they do? They go and trade for Darius Slay. They bring on Javon Hargrave. And now they've set themselves up with their first pick in the draft to tap into a great wide receiver class. You know, I can go on and on. There's, there's, there's teams that have, have, you know, they've got a need. They go and they go and solve that need, and then it gives you so many options for the draft. So that that's how I personally feel about it. And I, and again, I come back to this, whereby they've done a lot right in this reset. You know, to be able to to essentially move on so many veterans after the 2017 season try and it wasn't a complete rebuild but it was more or less there rebuild the roster repair the culture get their identity back those are huge achievements but what they had off the back of 2018 was a defensive line that needed help and they had a defensive line draft coming up where they could get that help so you're thinking you've got frank clark you've got jaron reed go and get a couple of pieces in this draft to go and support them continue that that build and then by opting not to play to pay Frank Clark and to trade him, that's mm-hmm. fine. You know, they got a good haul for Frank Clark, and it was a huge contract that Frank was going to get in the end from Kansas City. So that was a perfectly understandable trade. But then you've created an even greater problem. So you better have a plan to solve it. And their plan to solve it has been LJ Collier, Ziggy Ansa, Jadavian Clowney, who may end up being a one-year rental, and now Benson Mayoa and Bruce Irvin, and potentially a weak-looking defensive line draft. That's not getting the situation sorted. And if you're not going to pay Jadavion Clowney and you're not going to get that situation sorted, you've got to go and sign somebody else or you've got to go and bring somebody else in. And there were other players out there. Other teams have signed pass rushers this offseason. And the Seahawks have kind of got to decide at some point, you've got to pay somebody on the defensive line. You know, it's again, it's the four-man rush. You, If you want to rush with four, you better be prepared to go and pay the going rate eventually. And if you, you know, people are talking about Yannick Ngokwe at the moment, Brandon, go and trade for Yannick Ngokwe, go and give him the 27th uh, overall pick and go and get Yannick Ngokwe. But why are you not paying Frank Clark? Why are you not paying Jadavian Clowney? But then you're paying a first round pick for the privilege of paying Yannick Ngokwe. Right. I mean, that to me doesn't make any sense. I just mentioned Ngokwe had less, sorry, fewer pressures than Jadavian Clowney. He has less sacks than Frank Clark and he costs a first round pick. So why would you make that trade and not pay Clark and Clark? That to me doesn't make any sense. And if they go and do it now, it won't make any sense. I, I, I want them to sign a pass rusher, but I don't want them to make a mistake. So my view is that the blame is, is with the Seahawks. And I sincerely hope that as a consequence of all of this, we don't waste another season of prime Russell Wilson because the defensive statistics are similar to those that I mentioned earlier. So the one way, Rob, I could see this actually working out for the team is that 
say they have, you know, obviously they weren't, they didn't use the transition tag, but let's say they have an agreement with Clowney, kind of a, a ghost transition tag to where they say, whoever comes to you with the best offer, and yeah, maybe you aren't going to be able to to do all the, the medical things with the teams uh, that uh, that they would need to do, but once you, you really find out what your market is, then we're going to match that. And so if they are able, and, and they're able to find the best deal to keep Clowney as a member of the Seahawks that frees them up to you know maybe make some of those depth moves that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to do. Uh, and, and it ends up working out for them that way. I, I can see that as potentially the best way out of it. The, the next best way I think might be the Ngakwe situation. Yeah, it's not ideal, but if you're talking about maybe not giving up the first round pick, uh, just solely that first round pick, if you're talking about moving back into the early second, like they're probably going to do anyway with their first round pick, and then maybe giving up one of those picks that they got from Kansas City for Clark, or maybe giving up a, a third round pick, maybe it works out for them in that regard, and you have fewer of those medical issues with a guy like Ngakwe that you have with Clowney because I just I keep going back to the injury issues and the amount of information they must have over just about any other team that could be looking for Clowney they know mm-hmm. what uh, they they've been able to to have their doctors around him and and kind of have a, a I think a better idea than most of how much longer he could be effective and if he might end up in a situation like Todd Gurley finds himself in. Yeah. Well, go, I, my response to that would go and sign somebody else then. You know, if you <laughs> <Right>. fear that he's... <laughs> yeah, you why, fear didn't that you, he's, why didn't you do something already then? Yeah, if you think he's Todd Gurley, don't sign him. Yeah. Don't spend a month waiting for him. I think if there was any kind of an agreement in place, like a handshake agreement or a nod-wink agreement, they wouldn't be bartering through the media like they clearly are at the moment. And I still... And I think he's been the... Look, Pete Carroll said at the Combine... He, he literally called Genevieve Clowney a huge priority. So I think they have simply been waiting. I think they've said, he's the guy we want, and here's our offer. I don't think they maybe anticipated the stalemate lasting this long, mm-hmm. but I think they kind of got to a point in the process where they, we've waited this long. We might as well wait this through to a conclusion now. And I think they will just it, – it's a staring contest between Clowney and the Seahawks. And eventually someone's going to – either the, he's going to sign with Seattle – or he's going to sign for somebody else. I just hope that if he does sign for somebody else, the Seahawks have still got some time to go and make some counter moves. Now, I do think that they are probably sitting in a position of relative strength because I genuinely believe that Everson Griffin, when he voided his contract, decided he was either going to return to the Vikings or go to the Seahawks. I think with his mental health struggles, well-publicized mental health struggles, I think he's determined to go somewhere where he feels... Um, he's going to be looked after, shall we say. Yeah. And I think that is Minnesota, where he's obviously very comfortable, or playing for Pete Carroll, who he did play for at USC in a fantastic culture. So I actually think that Griffin could easily end up back in Seattle, even if they sign Clowney after all of this. And in you know three or four weeks' time, they might have both of these guys will be saying, well, there was it was premature concern. But at the same time, they could end up with neither, yeah. and then it's a crisis. So that's that's how I would I would view this. And um, I, I personally, for me, I don't really think it's worth all this drama with Jadavian Clowney because, like I said, they, they clearly feel like they clearly want the guy. They've waited this long for him. Is it really worth 
missing out on Cedric Abuey and Chance Warmack and Philippe Dorset, right? Yeah. To not have Jadavian Clowney right now? I mean, come on. I mean, just give him the money that you gave those guys. And then what is this draft class? Where is the strength? Receiver and interior offensive line. Right. You know, they've signed, they have like about 20 offensive linemen on the roster at the moment. They keep signing these offensive linemen. You're looking at, you know, I, I, you could reel off, I could reel off like 10 names off the top of my head that play offensive line in this draft who are going to be available outside of the top 25 picks that could be options for the Seahawks or anybody else for that matter. There's like 15 receivers that are going to go in the first two rounds and then there's depth beyond that. You know, I don't really understand why it was such a, a big deal to go and spend two or three million dollars on Cedric Abuey and then go and collect all of these depth players when you could have just had Jadavian Clowney have not had the last three weeks of all this like weirdness going on. And then who knows, Cedric Abuey might still have been available in a few weeks or Chance Warmack or Philip Dorset or anything like that. And if they weren't, well, is that really going to cost you the season? I mean, is that really going to have an impact in 2020? Is it really going to be the worst thing in the world if you have to go and draft somebody instead? And there's still a load of offensive linemen available right now. I mean, Cordy Glenn's still out there, for example. So, you know, I don't, I'm not a person who is critical of the Seahawks very often. And, you know, I hope people who are listening to this don't think I'm just being negative for the sake of it. You know, I always look for the perspective and I try and, and I've, always, I've been very positive about the Seahawks over the years because if you've not been positive about the Seahawks for the last 10 years, then you're having a laugh because they've, they've had a glorious decade of success. Um, but I want to see them back in a Super Bowl. I don't want to be in the in the wild card or the divisional round next year. I want to be in the Super Bowl. And I don't know if the moves they've made this offseason are going to get them back there. Yeah, you know what, Rob? If it turns out that the Seahawks end up losing Clowney, he goes to another team and ends up being you know, even the same player he was this last season. Maybe he doesn't put up the big numbers but if you look at the contracts that Brandon Shell got and the contract that he got from the Seahawks and you say, you know what, we probably, yeah, I know a lot of people are celebrating the fact that Jermaine Effetti moved on. But if you could have paid Effetti, I don't know, $2 million and doubled his salary from what the Bears were giving him to play guard, if you could have doubled Effetti's salary and kept him on the roster and used that 3 or $4 million that you paid for Shell and Abwehi, and added that to Clowney's contract. Yeah, you know what? I would look back on this offseason and be pretty upset with John Schneider. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't like Jermaine Effetti. I know I kind of found it, it almost seemed a little bit like on Twitter, for example, that, you know, it didn't matter that they hadn't signed a pass rush. Just the fact that Jermaine Effetti had gone away was enough <laughs> for a lot of fans. Yeah. Um, I, I think that was a little bit harsh, but then, you know, the, there's a reason why he's received such a, a terrible market this offseason and whether that's, a mixture of performance and character. It can't just be the way he played because he wasn't that bad. I mean, like, come on, you know, there are a lot worse tackles in the end. He may not have been great, but there were there were many, many worse tackles who were earning a lot more money than 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 he is, or even tackles who were marginally better who were earning a lot more. Hey, listen, Brandon Shell might not be that much better. <laughs> the Seahawks <laughs> just paid him a lot more. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a fair point. I just, again, I, you know, I don't want to keep repeating myself, but. It seemed to me like the better plan to do would be to wait out. You know, if you run the risk of losing Cedric Abui and Brendan Shell and all these guys, you know, let's say that Shell had signed for somebody else, the Rams or somebody like that, the day after the Seahawks did sign him. If you then went and signed Jermaine Effetti for like, you know, a ham sandwich like the Bears have done, 
would it have been the worst thing in the world, really? And then you could still, you know, I still think they're going to draft a right tackle. So, you know, they might spend their first pick on a right tackle. Yeah. So then Brandon Shell's just a more expensive draft hedge than Jermaine Effetti would have been. That, to me, doesn't make any sense, especially when you're, you know, you're penny-pinching a little bit with Jadavian Clowney. Well, Rob, I think that's a good jumping off point to get into the draft. You have the Seahawks draft blog. The draft is what you do. And we got a draft coming up in just a couple weeks. And I'm excited to see where the Seahawks could go with this because, yeah, unfortunately, defensive line isn't where the majority of the talent is. There are some nice tackles that are expected to be available at the end of the first round. There's, you know, the deep wide receiver draft that gosh they could get a guy at the end of the second round that you could see projecting as a guy who's going to be in that lineup week one and be able to to give you some production so uh, i do want to start off with defensive line though because i i think like we've talked about they've kind of put themselves in the position to where they may have to take the best guy with their first pick and you go back to uh, 2015 when they took Frank Clark with their first pick. Yes, it was at the very end of the second round, but he was probably a guy where in that offseason, I I just remember being pretty upset with the team because here was a guy that a lot of people were saying, hey, this is a guy that's going to fall down draft boards because of all the stuff that he had going on in college and the Seahawks reached too early. But when they were at a position of need in that 2015 draft, they they kind of had to take them there at the end of the second round. They end up getting Tyler Lockett. And so they had two solid players come out of that draft. Otherwise, not a, a ton of great picks in 2015. But they are, it, it does feel like right now that at the end of the first, they may have to use their pick on the best pass rusher available. And there's not a whole lot of great names, but I, I'm going to throw out a couple names for you, Rob. And that's Travis Gibson out of Tulsa or Curtis Weaver for Boise State. Which one of those two guys do you think might fit the Seahawks the best? Well, I think we're talking about, you know, two players at opposite ends of the scale. So Travis Gibson is, he's very raw, very athletic. Um, When you watch him on tape, I found his tape to be a little bit frustrating because it's very clear that he has got talent and, and potential. But he's playing, a, you know, at a lower level, and he's not put anything together really yet. He's somebody he, to me. He's like the the, the Obam Guachim type. Mm. Who you, if you get him in, you know, the, the day three of the draft, he comes in. Everyone will go, "What a great pick, great potential." Whether those kind of guys actually work out in the end, it's it can go either way. I mean, and I like his character. You've listened to his interviews. He's 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 very good to listen to. Um, he he did okay at the senior bowl based on what I saw. I didn't, I didn't shine in the one v ones, which is kind of like the the opportunity for somebody like that at a smaller school to come in and say I belong here. And I don't think he necessarily that, did that in a way that other players did. So yeah, for me, he's Oban Guachim. He's a fifth round kind of guy. You know, you chuck him in there and you see if it sticks. With Curtis Weaver, he was an absolute pass rushing monster at Boise State. His production is absolutely incredible. I mean, his sack production, his pressures, his tackles for a loss, his pass rush win percentage, his pressure percentage are all leading amongst this class. You know, there's basically a handful of guys, and that's Chase Young. It is 
Curtis Weaver, it's Julian Aquara, and it's Josh Uche. You know, they're the guys who consistently have won and won and won as pass rushers. Now, the thing about Weaver is he was 300 pounds when he got to Boise State. And if you actually watch him, the rivals video of him in recruiting, you know, he doesn't look like an edge rusher. You know, mm-hmm. he looks like a he looks like a defensive tackle, like an undersized defensive tackle. Um, and he's kind of still got that frame, which is slightly unusual. He also has 32 inch arms, which is you know below Seattle's threshold of 33 inches. So they might not even consider him for that. But the one thing he does have, despite all of this, you know, unique frame, lack of you know, great length or anything like that. One thing he has got is a fantastic short shuttle time. This has been a really big thing for top pass rushers over the years, that a short shuttle matters at this position. And his is really good. You know, the guys like Nick Bosa have, have really tested well in the short shuttle. I think he ran a 4-2-7, which puts him amongst, you know, guys like Chandler Jones and stuff like that. So he's intriguing. And he, if he was there in the second round, I would seriously consider drafting him um my only slight worry is is that he doesn't really fit the seahawks and there are other players who are maybe not as good at pass rushing in this draft than curtis weaver but they look like seahawks pass rushers if that makes any sense and they might go ahead of him from a seattle point of view yeah and i i guess that's kind of what i was getting at with my question too is between those two guys yes a guy like weaver doesn't have some of the measurables that they traditionally look for, like the arm length, whereas Gibson has that, but he doesn't have you know that polished feel, but he has that potential. And I, I think back to Frank Clark, and again, he, he had, I, I think that was a potential type pick. Obviously, I think he would have been taken a lot sooner, even with the off-field issues, um, just considering the needs that teams have for pass rush. But ultimately, that was a guy that kind of fit what the Seahawks yeah. tend to look for. I mean, the th- uh, just to, I mean, a quick one on Frank Clark. I remember watching him. Um, I wrote two articles on him, and, it, and you're right. You know, because of all the stuff off the field. You know, I was writing when I was writing the articles. I was saying, listen, I know a lot of people aren't going to like the fact that I'm writing about this guy, but I'm going to do it anyway. And this is from a purely, I'm I'm writing about him as a player in the draft because he's in the draft. Okay, so I, uh, you know, I'm sorry if anybody's offended by the fact that I'm even mentioning his name, but I'm going to do it. And then I said, and here's what I'm going to. He's a top ten player. Oh. He's a top ten pick in this draft. Like he's he's physically, that's how good he is. And he was, I was saying he's he's basically physically superior to to Jadavian Clowney. They are different players, but as a as an athlete, he is elite of the elite. I mean, like his three his um, short shuttle was that of a defensive back, and he was like two hundred and seventy pounds at the combine. He, he ran like some like a four oh five short shuttle. You know, there are cornerbacks who don't get near that. The, the, you know, there are guys like 185 pounds who don't run a short shuttle like that. Um, his Everything about him, his explosive testing, his agility, his speed, was of a truly elite level. And he would have been a an absolute surefire top 15 pick if it hadn't have been for, for the issues off the field. He was invited to the combine, then he was uninvited to the combine, then he was invited to the combine. There was a lot of stuff about that and then obviously he lasted to round two and the Seahawks took a chance on this you know to me he's more of a comparison to DK Metcalf he was you know obviously DK Metcalf fell for very different reasons but it was like wow look at this amazing physical talent who's here at the end of round two we'll we'll roll the dice on him Um, and they've done that a few times you know I actually kind of secretly hope that they do something like that again 
I, if there's a player that falls who's got massive, massive potential, I hope they take him because, you know, you've got Clark, you've got Malik McDowell, you've got DK Metcalf, and you've hit two out of three. Yeah. And the McDowell one was a freakish thing. You know, who knows what he would have been if he'd have actually taken the field. So there could have been three out of three. So I hope that if there's somebody who falls to 27, I can't really think of anybody who would who fits this mark. But well, it would have falls, to be somebody with a medical type issue, right? A medical, you know, there's been talk about Javon Kinlaw, for example, has got some medical question marks. I just, he's just too good to fall. You know, he's got to go from a top 10 pick to 27. That's, that's a massive fall. And, you know, they haven't taken guys like Miles Jack or anybody like that when they've fallen. So even when they were saying we need linebackers, they didn't take, they didn't stop his fall. So, you know, if he fell to 27, that would be significant. You know, I, I suspect he would carry on falling if he got to that point. Um, in round two, there's not really anybody who who springs to mind. Not not on the defensive line. You know, it, it receiver maybe. Yeah. You know, it's possible that someone like Lavisca Cheneau, for example, could be there at the end of round two, and maybe you think, well, let's try and strike twice. You know, lightning strike twice with Metcalf and Cheneau. Could see that, but I can't think of a pass rusher who could fall into it's because range there's not the depth of talent that had pass rush that no. we're, unless chase young falls for some reason you know maybe he has you know one of the uh the gas mask bongs that uh, comes out the day of the draft uh, but I, I still don't well, see him falling out of the top 10 so if, if there was if there was free travel around the country maybe someone could casually leave some gas mask bongs <laughs> just lying around yeah where, you know uh but you know I, i've actually thought of somebody i mean that there is one player who could potentially fall a bit who they may still pass on him even if he does fall to 27. And that is Kayla Von Chason at LSU. So everybody is Kayla Von Chason, Kayla Von Chason, this guy. He's a top 15 pick and he's amazing. And he's, uh, Chris Sims was talking about him like he's, you know, the second coming of Von Miller this week on NBC. And, you know, he, 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 some of the national mock drafts, you know, Lance Zierlein, who I, you know, love to bits, respect them. He's got him like as one of the 15 best players in the draft. Like, okay. I've watched him play, and I don't know what all the fuss is about. You know, he's his pass rush win percentage is the weakest of the entire draft class for edge rushers. He he doesn't he he does. You know, I was talking to Mike Renner about this, and he kind of shares the same opinion as me. Is that he will beat up some of the best offensive tackles in the draft. He's beaten the best offensive tackles in this draft class in college, but then he'll play other games where he's playing scrubs, and he doesn't do anything. He's he didn't test. He was one of these people who chose not to test at the combine. So what's he hiding? You go back and look at the spark testing. It's not great. And you say, well, can spark testing translate? Yeah, it did for Xavier McKinney. And Chase Young's spark testing wasn't any good. And he was another guy who skipped the combine. So, you know, he might only be a 475 runner at 254 pounds. That's not Brian Burns a year ago, top 15 type, you know, 450 or whatever he ran, super quick um, 10-yard split. I don't think he'd have done any of those things. And he's got 32 and a quarter inch arms. So when you actually say, okay, didn't test, short arms, bad production, tore his ACL 18 months ago, you know, is that a guy who's going to go in the top 15 and 20? I, I don't think so. And I think there's a chance he could be there. at 20. I've got him in round two. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people have got him in 15. I've got him in like 40. Um, Tony Pauline has got him ranked about 45 on his big board. I agree with him. I agree with Mike Renner who has him in round two. That's where I've got him. Okay. I could see him being there at 27. And I could, and, and if he falls and you could say, okay, look, he looks athletic. He's a rough diamond. 
we will take him in the first round and no one's going to complain about it and we'll try and turn him into what everybody who likes him thinks he's going to be. I could see that. That's that's the that's the one. But at the same time, he doesn't really fit any, you know, the, the pass rush win percentages, the, the short arms. Yeah. That's not what they go for. So if even if he's there at 27, I could see them going, eh, 350-pound offensive tackle who mauls people in the running game, Isaiah Wilson. We'll take him instead. I could see that. And I guess that's a little bit why I was bringing up Clark, too, because I think of his production in college, and uh, he did have at least two years where he had you know, double-digit tackles for a loss, but he didn't have big sack numbers. At least Chase on, you know, just in his one year last year, eclipsed any numbers that Clark had in, in his seasons, but... I, I guess uh, that would be one. I, again, I, I, I'm like you. I wouldn't be super excited about him. What, what about a guy who kind of fits some of those measurables, like Daryl Taylor of Tennessee? His injury history is so big that I, I'm not sure you can draft him. Mm. Not now. If he was there, you know, last day, if you stumbled upon acquiring a seventh round pick or as a priority free agent, I think go for it. Because he's the type of player that if you got him as a priority free agent or as a late round pick and his medicals are okay and then a year or two down the line you could get some value. Because he's got, you know, as a big recruit, he's got physical skills. He's not tested or anything because he was medically flagged at the senior bowl and didn't do anything at the combine. And that's been the story of his career. And because you've not been able to bring him to the VMAC and you've not been able to have your doctors check on him and none of the other teams have either, I'm not sure. I think he's one of the few players who's really going to suffer from from all of this process. Now, could be wrong. And if someone really likes him and thinks we'll take a punt in the middle rounds, that's possible too. But I think there's a, a really decent chance that he just lasts all the way through and you're seeing teams ringing him in seventh round saying, hey, listen, if no one takes you, we're going to offer you this much money to come in. So... um that's that's kind of where I think he's at. One other guy I wanted to ask you about on the defensive line is one of those guys that's kind of projected to be there around the end of round one. And it seems like he's the, the one other guy at the edge position that uh, apart from I see, I guess I see Weaver talked about as potentially early second round or late first two. But uh, A.J. Epinesa out of Iowa. Yeah, I just again, you know, I, I really struggle with him yeah. in the same way that I kind of do with. Caleb on Chase. Who on. do you like, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I do like some guys. <laughs> you know, this has been a very negative podcast for me. I'm sorry about that. Um, so at the end of the, of the season, he was really good. And, you know, Austin Jackson at, at USC is going to be a, you know, a first round pick. And he, he kind of took him to the cleaners in the, in the bowl game. And, and he, he moves inside and, you know, he rushes from the interior and his hands are good. And I think he's really solid. And I think if you are the New England Patriots or somebody like that, um, or the Broncos or, you know, those kind of schemes, I, I think, yeah, you know, he, he could have some value there. Um, for the Seahawks, he would be a five technique. Ah, it's just, you know, <laughs> he ran a 5.05. Yeah. You know, that if he'd run a 4.85, that's different. He ran a five something, you know, and... There was nothing else. I mean, his short shuttle was, uh, you know, there was just nothing there to get excited about. And you um, just had Scott McLuhan on your on your YouTube channel, Rob, and on on your website talking about how forty times didn't much matter to him. I know. I, I just listen. It's it, it's just about the profile, you know. You know, when I when I'm taking a first round pick, 
and and it's a guy like that. Yeah, you know they've they've got to be a bit more athletic than that because there's just so many guys in the NFL like him at that size who aren't spectacular. And you know when you when you look at his size, so like you look at his size and you look at his frame and you think, okay. Uh, you know, the, the the one guy who you look a bit like in terms of your frame, I'm not talking about the tape of his performance, is J.J. Watt. So how how close are you to that? Because you're not going to be that because J.J. Watt's one of the best to ever do it. But how close are you to that? And then you see the physical profile and you go, well, he's not close at all. You know, he's he's a lot closer to sort of the average 3-4 defensive end type that, you know, is all over the league. And, you know, for me, I, I think he's a probably a player who goes about 50th in this draft, I wouldn't take him in the first round. But here's the great thing is that there's probably, I would imagine there's probably half the teams in the NFL agree with me and there's half the teams in the NFL who take him in the top 25. So it's it's whether or not one of those teams who really likes him thinks we like him enough to take him here or whether it's going to be a case that he falls enough and then someone in the second round will go, we've got an amazing value because we, we thought he was a top 25 pick, but half the league will have a very different opinion and they won't get to be interviewed about him after he's drafted. So yeah, you know, that's, that's where I'm at with him. I mean, for me, I mean, if you want me to tell you, just run through very quickly some of the names that, that I do like, you know, in terms of pass rushes, sure. just so that people are not have not. <laughs> Let's go out on a positive with the pass rush, uh, the defensive yeah, line. Before before you know, we move on to the real pick that the Seahawks are going to go with in their first round pick. <laughs> well, you know, Josh Uche is, is a player that I've really warmed to as the process has gone along. He was fantastic at the Senior Bowl. He he didn't test at the Combine, which is a you know a shame. He, he was carrying an injury. But you see him bending straight and off the edge. He, he just tore the you know the the offensive lineman apart of the, the senior ball in the game during the week. Um, his pass rush win percentage is twenty seven percent, which is second to Chase Young, who had twenty seven point two percent. Yeah. Now you ain't going to get Chase Young, but you could get Josh Uche. Sure. And their performance as a pass rusher in twenty nineteen was very very similar based on those statistics there. Um, he is more of a, you know, the Bruce type Sam who reduces down, but I think that's not such a bad thing. I think in year one, I, I don't think any of these guys are going to be starting, you know, 90% of the snaps. I think what you do with him is you, you bring him in on third down, second down, passing downs and say, pin your ears back, get after the quarterback, create some pressures for some sacks create some turnovers for us. So I think that he could easily be Seattle's, uh, a guy that Seattle really likes, whether that's after trading down from 27 or maybe even moving up a little bit from 59. So he would be a player that I think is worth keeping an eye on. Julian Aquara is lightning fast off the edge, um, great length, stronger than I think many people realize, very, very strong and powerful. Um, I think he looks like a, a very natural Leo type. Again, didn't test at the combine because of injuries, recovering from a broken leg. Um, but I think that he is a player that could provide some value. And then another name is Jabari Zaniga, who had a great combine, did as well as, you know, in a bad performance for the defensive ends and defensive tackles at the combine. He was one of the few players who came out with any credit. Very, very athletic, rushed inside and out. Pass rush win percentage is about 20%. I think, in fact, it is 20% exactly. And uh, he is a guy who who could be an option for them. And there are others as well. I'm not limit- limiting it to those three. Yeah. They might think Bradley and I is, you know, because of his intensity and his character, he's got none of the physical profile they go for, but, you know, someone's going to take him quite early and take a punt on him because of his attitude and his relentless, you know, fire and determination. You've got people like Raekwon Davis and Justin Madabike inside. Uh, some people like Marlon Davidson. You know, Terrell Lewis, I think, has got injury concerns, but at some point in the draft, Terrell Lewis is going to be 
worth taking a punt on because of his upside. Yita Gross Martos is the same. You kind of want to see much more on tape, but um, there's something there, and there will come a point probably in the second round when you say you, you're willing to take a chance at him. So there are pass rushes. There just aren't many that you feel really great about. Well, one of the guys that I don't think you mentioned when you listed there is a guy that uh, Jim Nagy brought up in your interview with him, Jonathan Grenard. Yeah, so Jonathan Grenard is, he's not twitchy. Mm-hmm. He's not fast. He's not going to come into the NFL and scream off the edge and create loads of pressure as a pass rusher. He has also got a, a very serious wrist injury and, and has sort of played with his hand in a cast for most of the last season, even though he's well recovered from that it was quite a while ago now and there are some concerns i've seen it noted that i think teams will want to know is he able to use that hand to the maximum because you need to be able to use your hands in the nfl and if he's laboring that one hand and trying to do everything with one arm then that's going to be an issue and he's not quick he didn't run well but what he did is he's very agile he, he did very well in the three cone in the short shuttle and that counts for something and he's a real leader very mature person, exceptional attitude. Um, I just wish he was a bit quicker off the edge because if he was quicker and more dynamic as a speed rusher, mm-hmm. he probably goes in the first round. But he's not, so I'm thinking day, late day two, early day three. Well, I I like the Zaniga pick because if they were to go with him in the first round, that would kind of it would fit their um, just their mo of taking guys that were you know, projected to be round two or round three guy early on in the first round. Yeah. And he is somebody that you, you could, you could see it happening because he's got the juice. Yeah. He looks like a Greek God. He's, he's got minimal body fat. Uh, he ran a seven Oh three, three cone, at Florida. Um, he like, ran in the four sixes despite weighing, you know, nearly two sixty five something like that. Um, he's very explosive. You know, we put the defensive players through Tef, um, not because it, tells us anything other than it just it gives us an idea on be able to compare players defensive line defensive sure. line and then previous defensive lineman he's one of the most explosive defensive linemen we've put through the the testing he's, he's up there with miles garrett and solomon thomas who were top five picks and ben bonogu who was an early second round pick last year um who was an amazing athlete so he's in that ballpark for athleticism in terms of weighted tef put him through the weighted tef system because weight matters with explosion He's in the same ballpark as Cesar Ruiz and uh, Ezra Cleveland on the offensive line. So, And they're both going to be first-round picks. So you, you kind of get an idea for the kind of athlete that he is. He's not the most consistent player. His pressure percentage is about 15.8%, which is less than his pass-rush win percentage, which is more impressive at 20%. So what you're seeing is he's not really creating consistent pressure, but when he attacks, he, he does a good job of winning. Like one in five of his rushes will be a win. So he's raw. He's going to take some time. Jim Nagy was telling us that his weight's kind of been up and down at Florida. He, he adds a bit of muscle. He loses it to get quickness. He adds a bit of muscle. He plays inside out. I thought it was very interesting at the senior ball. One of the things they did at the senior ball in the 1v1s was they had him move inside and then take on Damian Lewis, who we interviewed recently. And they'd have one rep and then they'd go, do it again. And they'd have another rep and then they'd go, do it again. And when I'm watching that, they didn't do that with anybody else. Which makes me think that the, the, at least the scouts I think it was the Bengals scouting staff. I'm not sure the Bengals or the Lions. Hmm. I think it was the Bengals. They, I think they like Zaniga and Lewis because they wanted to see those two guys square off more <laughs> than just a one v. They wanted to see three reps of that. Yeah. And I have to say that Zaniga won a rep, Lewis won a rep. Third one was kind of a tie. So I really enjoyed watching that. So listen, 
if people want a bit of a a wild card pick for the Seahawks first pick, just keep Jabari Zaniga in mind. I know some people think third round, fourth round for him just because of the inconsistency. Right. But in terms of athleticism and, and what he has produced at Friday, his highlights tape, go and watch it on YouTube. It is exciting to watch. Um, and they do need to add a pass rusher at some point. Maybe not the first pick, but there's going to be some guys there in the second round. And Jim Nagy said that there will be guys in the second round that they can target. Well, one of the things that Adam and I talked about on the show in this offseason is the fact that going into this offseason with that idea of wanting to be in the Super Bowl, I want to be in I, I want to see the Seahawks in the Super Bowl next season, too, Rob. I mean, that's I think all as all Seahawks fans, that's what we want to see. And we were thinking is that with the with the cap space that they have, they have the flexibility to maybe focus on one side of the ball or the other. And I guess that's kind of what we've seen them do in this offseason because they focused a lot more on the offensive line. Maybe they haven't made a, a big splash move of signing a guy for $10 million plus, but it's definitely been a focus of the team to add players on the offensive line, You know, whether it's with Shell or with Finney and uh, Abwehi and uh, the, uh, the former top 10 pick. Um, Chance Warmack. Chance Warmack. So they, they've added uh, a breadth of guys there. And I feel like with the the talent that's available on the interior of the offensive line and at tackle, that maybe that's where the focus could continue to be in this offseason and protecting Russell Wilson. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's very possible. I think that the emphasis, they, they've kind of spelled it out, has been to fix the pass rush. And, I, and there's, you know, we're not going to go back to that, but they've... I think they've just struggled more than perhaps they anticipated to do that. Um, so I don't think it's it's that they necessarily felt like, I mean, let, let's be right here. If the priority was to do a better job protecting Russell Wilson, I'm not sure Brandon Shell, uh, Cedric Abui, Chance Warmack, BJ Finney is, is a statement of any real intent there. You know, Jack Conklin would have been, I guess, and I'm trying to think, you know, Trent Williams or somebody like that, trade for him. You know, that would have been a, whoa. Yeah, Bulaga, Brian Bulaga. Yeah, something like that. You know, that would have been a, okay. You know, that was obviously a priority. I think I think they're trying to add competition. And, and I think also the other thing is, I think they've sort of seen over the last couple of years, they've had a lot more success bringing in veteran linemen for cheap and letting them go after it and compete. You know, they've found J.R. Sweezy, well, they rediscovered J.R. Sweezy, DJ Fluker, Mike Party, they have found options that have made the offensive line be- not particularly good, but far better than it was before, if that makes sense, when they were a lot younger on the offensive line. And I think they're probably looking at this and saying, well, let's have Warmack battle with Fluker and let's have, you know, Haynes battle with Simmons or Jamarco Jones or Ethan Posick and let's have Finney battle with who are, you know, Joey Hunt and Justin Britt and people like that. And let's, let's have it out. You know, let's get the best five together. I think that's probably what it's more like. The thing about this offensive, you know, the, the draft and the, from the offensive line is that they're just, there are just guys there that you can see them going after. There aren't many Seahawks style pass rushes who are going to be eligible for the first round right. because they're not good enough. But there are a lot of, you know, Isaiah Wilson looks like a Seahawks right tackle. He looks like exactly the type of player they were like. Austin Jackson, Ezra Cleveland, Josh Jones. You know, there, is, there, are, there are a number of names you could reel off, a defensive line receiver, and there's a couple of running backs as well. Jonathan Taylor, for example, 
Cam Akers, who just really tick all the boxes in terms of their physical ideals. And um, because they've often taken offensive linemen early in the draft, they have. This, you know, might not have felt that way, but they have. Um, I could definitely see them going down that road again. If they decide to wait until the end of the second round, what are some of the names that you look at there? I think that will be harder. Because yeah. then what you're doing is you're relying on either a Prince Tegawanogo falling or a Lucas Niang falling purely because of injury. They'd go a lot earlier than that if it wasn't for injuries and, and a bit of question marks there. You've got a Matt Peart at uh, Connecticut who had a good combine. It's just a ridiculous athlete, you know, very explosive, has got, it's nearly got 37 inch arms. <laughs> and I can't even imagine what it's like to have the, the 37 inch arms. I, has that ever happened before? I mean, he's, he's, he's like 36 and like six, eight inch arms or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Um, and he played right tackle, uh, at Connecticut. So he, you know, he's, it's, it's not like he has to transition from the left side or anything. So they, they're the guys that I would say Robert Hunt is a, is a player that, you know, I need to mention him. A lot of people are projecting him inside to guard, but I think he could stay at tackle. And I love Robert Hunt. Robert Hunt is a terrific player who I imagine the Seahawks could be very, very interested in. So he's a name that they might think we've got to come out of this draft with him. And I've been thinking they might even take him at the end of the second round to make sure that they get him. But I know a lot of people prefer him inside at guard and they've already invested a lot there. So there are things they can do. It's about, you know, addressing your needs in the right area. So if they can sign Jadavian Clowney before the draft, they probably don't have to reach for that position at 27. Then they can say, we'll take one of Wilson, Jackson or Cleveland. Or if, if they really, really like Jonathan Taylor, which they may do, they could take him. Or which of these great receivers are still there at 27 is somebody like KJ Hamler or Justin Jefferson there, Denzel Mims, Jalen Rieger. You know, are those players going to be in contention there? They're, they're the kind of names that it opens everything up if you address the pass rush before the draft starts. They've got two weeks, get on with it, so we can talk about these players that are, are probably better suited to Seattle at 27 or in the 30s after a trade down rather than having to try and force anything in the pass rush. What about a guy like Ben Barch? Where do you think he ends up going? Ben Barch, really good senior ball. Really, really good. I think third round is a solid projection for him, but would not be surprised at all if he moved into the second round. The one thing about the senior ball, this is what I was kind of talking about Travis Gibson is, when mm-hmm. you get these smaller school guys in, and he's an ex, is that from St. John's or something, so right. like really, really small school guy. You get him in there, and then all of a sudden they're lining up against like a, a Jabari Zaniga or somebody in 1v1s or playing these guys from Florida and Alabama and, and all that. And when they're winning those reps, you take notice. And he was really, really good at the senior bowl. So he did a, he did a terrific job boosting his stock in Mobile. And I could definitely see him going in the in the second or the third round. You mentioned Yang. You, you don't think that he was a guy that could potentially fall to the end of the second, though? I think he could. Yeah. I think he could because of the injury situation. He had quite a... I mean, he... he you know, to give, he's, he's a very passionate player, and he, I can't remember what the injury. It was it, I don't know. It was, was it a labrum injury? I think it may have been a torn labrum. Hmm. But he, he he basically, if he was playing in the NFL, he'd have been put on injured reserve. Uh, but in college, you know, it's a little bit different. Um, they had him for like the last season, and basically what he did is he played against Texas with a torn labrum. Like he's he's like he was so in pain throughout this entire game. And then TCU won the game, and then he just broke down in tears after the game. Because I think he knew that was his last game. Yeah. But he was going to play that game if he, you know, his arm had fallen off. He was playing in that game. Um, and he played through the pain, and then they won 
and it, it just all the emotion of the emo of the moment overcame him and and it, there's a great video on youtube i think it's with his dad or something on the field afterwards in tears because he was just so determined to play and win that game for tcu so the stuff like that you love the, the problem is you can't get him in to do the medical check and you just wonder how that's going to impact teams and Someone like Lucas Niang, who would have realistically been a second-round pick, might end up being like a fourth-round pick or a fifth-round pick now because you could bring him in and then you might fail him on the medical after after drafting him and you might not even sign the guy. Right. So it's you know, there's going to be a fair bit of that. There's going to be players drafted in this draft who come in and they fail their medical then they never even sign the first contract. Yeah, hip surgery is it looks like what he had in the offseason. And we know how serious that is because, of you know, look at Tua. So... Um, yeah. Yeah. And you had him falling in your latest mock draft. I was I was watching that on YouTube as well, down to Jacksonville. And, uh, you know, when you get to that middle of the first round, that gives you a, a chance to take a, take some chances. And, yeah, is Jacksonville really sold on uh, what they have a quarterback right now? Well, the thing about Tour is, you know, Michael Lombardi was saying this earlier, was that um, I think he said one or two teams have actually failed Tour on his medical. Oh. That he, I think he'd actually done some medical checks. He he was due to go to Miami right before the world was put in lockdown, um, and he, he never actually made that trip. I think Jordan Love made the trip to Miami, but and then Tua was going to do it, and then they said no. The NFL said no more visits, so they didn't actually get their visit in with Tua. But Michael Lombardi was saying that one or two teams had failed him on his medical. Now it's it's just hard, you know. Fifth overall pick, it's thirty million dollars guaranteed to that player and all of the expectation that comes with that of being the franchise savior and then you might bring him in and you might fail him on your medical and then what do you do right do you give him do you give him 30 million dollars or do you do you cut him right and waste the pick and and if, you know and that's can you do that like a, can you can you bring him in and then cut him and oh yeah and not I, pay I him you, i don't think you have to pay it you don't have to pay him oh i don't, I, I mean look seems Guys hold out, you know, you, I don't, I don't think, yeah, I suppose I mean, it's not an automatic contract once you draft a guy. No. Yeah. I mean, I mean he'd be, he'd be a just a waste agent, of a pick. Know? Although I, I guess if I'm going to waste a pick or waste $30 million, I think I'd know uh, what I'd do. <laughs> That's the thing. Now, listen, there's like an army, there's a Miami Dolphins fan, bless him, <laughs> who posts on my blog all the time. And he's from the cult of Tua, which is strong. Yeah essentially so there's a group of Miami fans and it's quite a lot of them. There's a guy I know on Twitter who's the same. He used to work at the BBC. The idea of doing anything other than taking Tua Tagovailoa at number five is unacceptable. <laughs> they will be burning Dolphins jerseys in the garden if they don't take Tua Tagovailoa at number five. It's, it's him or nobody as far as they're concerned. But if you're the Dolphins, you've got to make a call. You've got to say, what are we going to do here if this guy comes in and fails his medical? What if he can never play for us? What if he can't play initially, and when he comes back, he's not the same player? Or what if we want him to scramble and do bootlegs and stuff, and that injury's in the back of his mind? What if he's just injury prone? Because throughout his time at Alabama, he's been relentlessly injured, whether it's ankles, hips, whatever. He's he's had a lot of injuries. Um and then you've got Justin Herbert, and you say, well, what issues has he got? He's not, not quite as good a player, but, well, there's no issues there. Or you say there's Jordan Love. Well, we'll pass him his medical, and we'll, we'll try and develop him. Or, or, or you just go and sign Cam Newton, 
Right. Like there's there's lots of other things at play here, and and that's why I think Tua might fall. Now, look, it's also the most important position in football, and you know the team like the Dolphins and the Chargers need to, you know, if they believe in the talent and they want to take a risk, and if he comes in and they, you know, they can pass a medical, even if it they can, if they want to pass a medical, they can pass a medical. If you, if you know what I mean, you know, they can they can make sure this medical is passed if needs be, but that doesn't mean he's going to ever be the Tua that people anticipated 12 months ago so um we'll have to wait and see he's he, for me he's a player who could easily go fifth overall or he could drop out of the first round you, i mean who thought miles jack was going to drop out of the first round so you know these things do happen and um it'll be interesting to see where he goes yeah you know this is this is really going to bring in some things that gosh we're probably we might not ever see again in terms of the draft because i can't even imagine the idea of of Picking a guy number five, like the Dolphins could do it to a bringing him in and saying, yeah, thirty million dollars or go ahead and cut him, you know, that kind of risk reward, and then him going out as what he'd be just a free agent then, right? That uh, yeah. being able to to go to any team and and see what the bidding would be for for Tua at that point. Gosh, that yeah. would be fascinating. <laughs> I, I wonder if what the Dolphins will do is they will say to Tua before the draft possibly the night before, because he doesn't give me much time to think about it. Uh-huh. We are going to take you at number five, but we want you to agree. We want to have some kind of verbal reassurance from you that when we come to signing the contract, we are protected against you being hurt so that we have an out so that we're not guaranteed. So that if you, if you're with us for the, you know, you're guaranteed your 30 million or whatever it is. Yeah. But if you are hurt, then you're not getting 30 million offers. But that's the risk that you're going to take. Because if you don't agree to that, we ain't taking you number five. And then other teams are going to know we haven't taken you. Number. We, may even, we may even tell the Chargers we're not taking you at five, and this is why. And I think in that situation, Tua may well say, I'll, I'll take that chance. Because I want, to be, I want to be the number five pick, and I want to have the opportunity to earn that money, and I will, I will agree to those, those terms. I wonder if that will happen and that he will still go number five. But it will probably take something like that. And just a quick final point on the quarterbacks. Do you know who's benefiting, I think, most from all of this? Jalen Hurts. Because <laughs> Jalen Hurts, all he did was go to the Senior Bowl. Yeah. Be in front of all the teams. He wasn't good at the Senior Bowl, though. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Speak to all the teams, though. He spoke to all the teams. And they interviewed him. And they got to meet him. Yeah. And he, he was there having played in the playoffs. So a quick turnaround, and then he was there. Then he went to the Combine, and he threw better than anybody else. And he did all of the testing. He didn't shirk any of that. He got to meet with all of the teams. He's come out of all of this with everybody raving about his personality and his character. And what teams are going to do, I imagine, during this process, whether it's right or wrong, they're going to go, oh, you know, to a tag of Iloa, not sure about the injuries. Justin Herbert, not sure if he's the kind of leader we need. Jordan Love, there was that marijuana thing a few weeks ago, and oh, look at the interceptions last year. Hang on a minute, here's Jalen Hurts, and he's available in round two. And he he did all this at Alabama, and, and look how he handled that, and then all of the success he had at Oklahoma, and and then look how he performed at the Combine, and he tested, and, we, and he's healthy, and all of this. And you know what? We can just take him and we can we can market off him and we can sell him to our fan base. And if it doesn't work out, well, it was only a second round pick and it didn't cost thirty million. 
And I actually think there's te- I think the Chargers and teams like that will probably think that he's the better bet in this crazy, weird coronavirus draft. I, I think some teams are going to think that way. And he's going to, and he's going to end up going in the, in the top 50 as a, as a consequence of that. It may not be the right thing to do. It may be the worst decision that any of these teams make. But ultimately, they, th- this is a risk management draft this year. And I think some teams will determine that that is them doing their risk management. You take an offensive lineman or whatever in the first top 10, and then you take Jalen Hurts with your second pick. I could see that happening. You know, the one team, and I, I see you have a mock to the Chargers in early round two, Rob, but the one team where I could I could see it more than any other is Carolina, I think. And I know they yep. got Teddy Bridgewater, but, you know, the it's Baylor head coach, right? And, you know, they played a couple solid games against Oklahoma. That uh, I could see that being tempting for the, the young coach there. Absolutely. And you know what a team like the Panthers should do? They should do exactly what the Seahawks did, which is, you go and sign Teddy Bridgewater like the Seahawks sign Matt Flynn, and then you and then you don't give up there. You keep you go and draft a quarterback, and then if it's not Jalen, if Jalen Hurts isn't the answer, you do the same the next year. Yeah, you know you keep looking and you keep looking and you keep looking, and it's the teams that will do that. The teams that are prepared to admit a mistake are the ones that will succeed. Arizona taking Kyler Murray a year ago, Josh Rosen, yeah, is is okay, but we want to get Kyler Murray. So you admit the mistake and you move on. You draw a line under it. The Seahawks and Matt Flynn, you draw a line under it. And they should do exactly the same. And you keep looking. And if Jalen Hurts doesn't work out, so what? You know, you, you just go you go again. Um, and uh, I think that's, that, is a, that is a great, that is a good fit. That is a really good option. And them, the Chargers, the Colts, you know, teams like that, that's, that's who I can imagine being interested in Jalen Hurts. Rob, I, I, I want to hit one more position uh, before we get on out of here, and I, I want to throw it out to you. What, what position do you feel strongly about that you want to talk about before we go? I, do you know what? I mean, I, I, obviously, the receiver position is absolutely loaded and some great options there, and I, you know, I kind of feel like th- there's two sort of things that I want to talk about just to finish. So I think this is, uh, there's been mixed opinions on what, is this a good interior offensive line class or not? I mean, I've talked to two guys in the last week who said, who were both great at what they do, and one said it's a good interior offensive line class, and one said it's a bad one. You know, I think it's a good one. Uh-huh. I think I think there's a ton of center options there. You know, you, you've got your Cushenberry, you've got Ruiz, you've got Hennessy, you've got Harris, you've got Ishmael. Lots and lots of options. You've got a ton of guards. You know, the guys I've, I've interviewed, Lewis and Hunt, you've got Kevin Dotson, you've got simpson you've got stenberg you've got lemieux you could keep going and going and going you've got offensive tackles that are going to go early i just think you know it, it's one of the reasons i'm a bit surprised the seahawks have gone so heavy on veteran offensive linemen is there are some great options on the offensive line this year um so that that's one thing i would talk about the other thing is is that i don't think it's a great linebacker class but there are a, some good options yeah so you know kenneth murray and, and patrick queen are probably going to go in the first round or the top 40. And, I, and I, that may well be a, a little bit rich for the Seahawks. But Willie Gay Jr. is a player that I've been talking about since watch, when I was watching Montez Sweat last year and Jeffrey Simmons. Um, and we're talking about the 2018 college season. There was this one guy who kept showing up every game 
for Mississippi State, and that was Willie Gay Jr. He would force a fumble. He would make an interception. He would make a massive tackle for a loss. He would chase down a screen. He would he, he'd do all, he was just doing everything. He was all over the field. He was the, like the ultimate playmaker at linebacker. And, you know, when it came to the early watch list that I do at the end of every draft, I put Willie Gay, you know, as one of the top 25 players in this draft. And then he obviously had a ridiculous 2019 where he cheated on a chemistry test um, and got suspended and then punched his quarterback in the, in the face. And then that was him done for the end of the season. Now, there are guys going to bat for him. Willie McGuinness is one of them. He's saying he's a leader, he's a good character, he spent some time around him and he said you don't have to worry about any of that. And apparently the reviews from, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah who was tweeting about it the other day, he's had a lot of these FaceTime meetings with teams and he's done a great performance. He's, he's, he's reassured teams and apparently he's, he's done well in that regard. And the feeling is now that he could go in round two or even high in round two. Now, if you look at Willie Gay's numbers, they are practically identical to Bobby Wagner's. Same 40 time, same vertical. The difference between his three cone and Bobby's three cone is 0.02 seconds. And it's the same for the short shuttle. It's incredible. They're both 0.02 seconds in difference. They are practically the same physical player. Oh, wow. Now, do you need two Bobby Wagners? Well, why wouldn't you want two Bobby Wagners? <laughs> you know, and, and like one thing the Seahawks don't do very well is defend the perimeter run. And they don't do screens very well. They didn't last year. And, you know, they drafted a linebacker who got blocked by Aaron Rodgers in a playoff game. Um, and, People like Willie Gay, they ain't getting blocked by Aaron Rodgers, you know. So part of me thinks it's not the biggest need in the world. It's a bit of a luxury pick. But, you know, you know, Willie Gay is a good football player with massive potential. You know, you're talking about taking a punt on somebody with massive upside, like a Frank, like a DK Metcalf. You know, that's that's what I'm talking about here. You know, it's it's a guy with a met with elite physical skills who has done it in a massive conference like the sec how, how early are you thinking for for willie gay oh i think he could be he could be number 33 overall to the bengals oh um but he he could be he could even sneak into the back end around one but i but he also could be like there at 45 okay and you know whether you trade down from 27 or you trade up from 59 you know you you may have an option to get him there and i thought i say like it's not the biggest need in the world. You know, you speak to people, some people think linebacker is still a need, but then, you know, they, they drafted two guys a year ago and they still have KJ and they still have Bobby. So, you know, how many linebackers are you going to have? It's it's like, you know, there are other areas in the team that, that need some love and attention here. But Willie Gay is such a... The, the potential is there for, you know, a, a player who in 10 years' time, you've said he's, he's been one of the best linebackers in the NFL. So why wouldn't you at least consider it and then there's another linebacker called Logan Wilson, who I wrote about a few weeks ago um, from Wyoming, who had an incredible combine. You know, he, he's, he ran in the 4.6s, like 4.6.3, a, a great size, like 250 pounds. His short shuttle was like a 4.2 something, which is not in the Seattle range, but it's really, really good. And then he's... You know, you watch, so he's a three-year captain at Wyoming, you know, so he's got the, the leadership and the character that you look for. Everybody loved him at Wyoming. And then you watch the tape and wow, what a, what a player. So he had a ton of interceptions at Wyoming. He was picking off interceptions all over the place. You know, the Seahawks need some playmakers on defense, man. You know, they need some some guys who 
will create pressure and turn the ball over. And he did that at Wyoming. He was picking everything off. He defends the perimeter run superbly. He runs through traffic. He, you ain't blocking him. You, you can't get a tight end or a, a receiver bouncing out wide and blocking him like the Seahawks were having trouble getting off those blocks last year. You know, he's going to do a great thing for your perimeter run. I think you can play that will position. You can play inside. He's like a heat-seeking missile to the ball carrier. And he's, he's incredibly mature. Very, very mature. He's not got like that look in his eye, which, you know, I was watching a Cam Chancellor video this week. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Cam Chancellor, where he was kind of laughing and joking. He was going, you know, like, when I, when I, when I see a guy, and, you know, there's gonna, it's going to be a... It's going to be a scene. So he said something like that. It's going to, when I see a guy with the ball carrier and I've got a route to him, it's going to be a scene. It's going to be a scene. And he was laughing. And then all of a sudden, like he's just stopped laughing and he just looked at the guy who was asking him the question. I was like, oh my God. Imagine being on the air. Imagine being on the end of that question, you know, that the look in his eye. Yeah. It's like, that is a bad man. You know, <laughs> it's just, and I, and I watched the highlights. I was thinking, where's that Seahawks gone? You know, like the, the team that everybody was scared to death to play. You've got, Cam on one side of the ball and Marshawn on the other. Uh-huh. Um, I man, you know, I'd like to see them draft some players who brought a bit of that back together. You know, to the t- you want one seems to be scared to play the Seahawks again, and I don't think we've got that at the minute. And Logan Wilson's not going to bring that. You know, that's not the kind of character that he is, but he's just such a talented physical player that I, I'd like to think that he could be an option at the end of round two or early early third round as well. But I mean, that's if, you know, the final point I would make is that is the final point is. Yes, they have needs, and we can talk about positions as much as we want. Go and sign some bad men in this draft. Go and get some bad guys because they need they need that edge. They need that physical edge again, and um, they don't have that. They're not the bully anymore. Yeah, and you're going to have to bully in this division. That NFC West's it's a it's a tough it's a tough league. You know, you are not going to finesse your way out the Niners, the Rams, and the Carnos, you're gonna to have to meet them in the alley and you're gonna to have to you're gonna to have to do one over on them so go and get some guys who can do it well let's look back to that because I, there was I didn't think we were gonna end up on linebackers Rob but uh, here we are and one of the guys that you know you've had me on this now the sub four one short shuttle guys and the one guy that uh, jumped out from the Wisconsin pro day it wasn't Zach Bond. It was Chris Orr who had a sub four one short shuttle, and I went back and I was looking at his tape, and there's a guy who has the no has a nose for the football, but I don't know if he he demonstrates that that kind of toughness that you'd say uh, Cam has. But uh, what did what did you think about uh, going and looking at Chris Orr? I've not seen him a great deal, but I have seen some of him watching the other guys at Wisconsin, and yeah, I think it's a, it's a fair review. I think the thing with with Wisconsin though is they've kind of had a good linebacker. Uh, or even multiple good linebackers in each of the last five drafts. Like I remember, like Leon Jacobs and players like that over the years. And you know, there's there's been a series, and actually a few guys who've tested in the kind of range where the Seahawks, where you would think they might be interested, and they've they've not drafted any of them. And it's it kind of makes me wonder why is there something about the scheme that's not quite right? Is, is it hard to project them to the next level? And in fairness to all of those guys from Wisconsin, they haven't gone on and, and had the kind of great impact in the league that, that maybe their, their reputation warranted. But they've kind of stayed away from Wisconsin defensive players. I mean, uh, TJ Watt's a good example of that. Yeah. And they had Watt, a chance to take Watt. Yeah, you know, and he, he had the short shuttle, he had the pass rush, he had the sacks, he had the bloodlines, he had everything. And they didn't take him. 
and, and I'm trying to think. I don't. Th- I can't remember. Maybe you can remember any, Brandon. Have they taken any defenders from Wisconsin over the last, you know, ten years? I I don't remember anybody. No, uh, they, I, I think the only guy that they've taken from Wisconsin in the last ten years is Russell Wilson. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's he's, he's, yeah. he's John Moffat. Right. If you go back, uh, but that's still uh, on the Moff- offense. John Moffat. Yeah, I'm trying. There'll, there'll be somebody else. There'll be some like random guy that I'm completely forgetting here, some receiver or something like that that they've taken. But you know, it, it just doesn't seem like a school that they have they have gone to. But you know, I I, I have to say, I, look, I found I'm, I'm it. Sorry. I found it, Rob. Sorry to interrupt. I, I found oh. the last guy that they take that they took on defense, and it was a linebacker, and it was in 1996. And yeah. I it, I will give you. $100,000 if you can pull. I will give you $100 million if you can pull his name. Okay. Is that a, is that a serious offer? <laughs> you know, if, if you've got $100 million, because I, 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 I do it. I don't have $100 million, but I, I don't, I, I really, I'm pretty confident you're not going to guess this guy's name. Because I was going to sneak onto Pro Football Reference and have a look. <laughs> you're um, buying yourself time to Google this, aren't you? <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> uh, I, I can't even pronounce his last name. Eric Unverzacht. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like utah gross matost but uh <laughs> you know i i think um you know i, I was just going to say that uh you know i'm sat here now saying i want i want the silks to be the bully again and i don't want to i have to say i've i've watched most of the players in this draft now especially most of the key players that there aren't a lot of guys who can can do you know who are going to be that type of guy that there are not a lot of you know absolutely menacing hard-hitting safeties there are not many physically imposing tall long great run defending quarterbacks hmm. there are not beastly defensive linemen in this draft the the running backs you know they're not marchand they're different you know they're you know there are great running backs but none of them are marchand um in terms of the intent there's not even a thomas rolls really i mean clyde edwards is the nearest thing but you wouldn't mistake him for a rolls type um defensive linemen there are some bad guys there you know like but that's pretty much it. I'm not, and I'm not sure they lack for toughness on the offensive line with Dwayne Brown already there. Right. So, you know, I, I can sit here. It's very easy for me to sit in a chair in England and say, go and become the bully again. I, I'm not, it's not easy to identify those guys in this draft and in, and in fairness in previous drafts either. And I think that's one of the reasons, I think that's one of the things they were looking for a year ago. That's why they took Marquise Blair because he was a head hunter. And that's one of the reasons why they took LJ Collier because he was tough, physical, didn't take any crap. Um, so I, I think that was a, a key sort of aspect for where the, the way they approached the draft. And it may well be again this year, but it's hard to find those guys. All right. Trade up, get Isaiah Simmons, do it. Yeah. And <laughs> I get it. that will get him talking. Well, Rob really want to thank you for coming on. I I'm disappointed that we didn't get to find the, the bully that's in this, but maybe, maybe it'll take, maybe that's where they'll be able to identify that through some of these Skype and, and Facebook meetings. Maybe, Maybe the teams that really do the work on the personalities of the players throughout this process will end up having a leg up ultimately when it comes down to uh, how this draft class rounds out. And if that's what ends up happening, I could see the Seahawks maybe being that team that uh, has that little bit of advantage in terms of guys, you know, being able to really figure out guys' mental toughness just through interviews. And um, maybe the other plan is just to sign so many offensive linemen that some of them can convert to the defensive line. Hey. You know, kind of <laughs> do a reverse J.R. Sweezy, uh, Chance Warback rushing the edge, and uh, 
you know, <laughs> BJ Finney is your, your new three technique. I, I really liked my fantasy scenario better than yours, Rob. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's if there's one good thing about everything is that you know it's been a bit of a quiet, frustrating time in free agency, but the drafts around the corner, and that will provoke some movements, I think, in terms of Clowney and others. And um, and a draft is always fun. And at a time when we need a bit of, di- of a distraction and stuff like that, you know, thank goodness for the NFL draft because it has provided something. I got to say, Rob, this pandemic has changed you. I remember talking to you before this all happened, and you were a much more positive guy. And now things, <laughs> you've changed, man. <laughs> hey, listen, go and get a couple of pass rushes this week. Have a good draft. <laughs> We can all be positive again after the draft. <laughs> Sounds good, Rob. Really want to thank you for coming on. Uh, looking forward to catching all that content up at SeahawksDraftBlog.com. I don't think you just interviewed Lombardi, Michael Lombardi, and I don't think that's hit the website yet, right? No, um, it may well have. Um, I, you by know, the time by the people time hear this, yeah. People hear this, but it, you know, what I would say is check, you know, scroll down the block, but you can also go to my YouTube channel. If you just search for Rob Staten in YouTube, um, you will find a picture of my face in a circle. Uh, if you click on that, then um, you will find all of the interviews there. And, you know, just to quickly run through it, Jim Nagy, Lance Zeelin, Robert Hunt, Cesar Ruiz, Damian Lewis, Michael Lombardi, Mike Renner, and um, Scott McLuhan. So they're, they're the guys that we've interviewed so far. And I'm going to keep trying to do a few more before uh, the draft. And I will put a link to uh, your YouTube channel in the show notes. So for anybody listening to this, just go and... Uh, so you don't have to do any of the searching. Just click the link and it will take you right there. Rob, really want to thank you once again. I'm sure we'll talk either once again before the draft or as soon as we have some actual picks to talk about. Anytime. And before I get out of here, just a reminder, you can go to getintheflock.com and become a member of the flock. We are giving away a Russell Wilson card with a little tiny piece of Seahawks jersey in it. Tinypiecesofseahawksstuff.com. Just comment Go Hawks in the comments section. Be sure and get it in by April 14th, and then we will pick a winner on the next show. And I think with that, there's only one thing left to say. Go Hawks!